LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. I started the blog in October of 2006, and that blog actually opened up doors and wound up changing our lives in ways that we didn't recognize. So God took some of that discouragement and that disappointment during a season where it was really rough for us and used that to actually push me into an an area where I really did thrive. Blogging was like a, it was a medium at the time that felt unique to me. Like this was a unique place for my, for for me to be able to, to, to use my gifts. And, and that's what then opened the doors to some interviews with different theologians and different church leaders and pastors, and then eventually uh, to, to books as well. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, how's it going in Texas, man? It's going well. I, I hear you just got back from a big trip. Where'd you go? I, I did. Just got back from uh, the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone National Park. So... Monday after vacation is always a fun one, but we're getting back into it. And if, if you've never been out West, specifically to those two national parks, cannot recommend it enough. It was a blast. Well, Mondays are Mondays, but today's a good Monday because we get to have a conversation with Trevin Wax, who is Senior Vice President of Theology and Communications at Lifeway Christian Resources and a visiting professor at Wheaton College. He's the general editor of The Gospel Project, which is a great resource, and the author of multiple books, including Rethink Yourself, This Is Our Time, and Gospel-Centered Teaching. Trevin, so glad to have you on today. How you doing, bro? Doing good. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, it's a it's a long, impressive bio right there. <laughs> well, I don't know how impressive it is, but you know, bios can get really long when you <laughs> you start start listing. You know, and he lives here, and you got wife and kids, and he went to school there. And, you know, one of those things. Any of us can link to the bios if we want to. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just glad I got through it without messing it up. That so you know, I practiced that at least fifty times before I got on here, Trevin. I you just said, to... you said the name of my book. This is our time, like the guy in um, in the Goonies. It's our time <laughs> down here. You know, I was like, yes, I love that. You this know? is our time. Right, I, you know, right. the one thing that wasn't on the bio. And I surprised it surprised me it, before I moved to Austin was in Nashville. Um, was watching the American Gospel. Oh and yeah, yeah. You're on that, and like when you came on, I was, you know, it was almost like spill the popcorn all over myself. Like, I know that guy. I know I, that guy. I have gotten so many emails from people who are like, "We're just watching Netflix." I'm like, "You show up," and I'm like, "I mean, it was years ago that um, uh, Brandon Kimber, who who did the two American Gospel videos." Uh, documentaries set up at sh- set up shop really in my what we call our library which is really a front room that we did built-in bookshelves for and that's um and so yeah i was like so many years after the recording it shows up and people are watching it it's just really it's kind of cool uh to, to see people talking about it so well just to honor you let me start over he's the general editor of the gospel project the author of multiple books including rethink yourself this is our time and gospel center <laughs> teaching and he's also a star on netflix in the american well trevin we know you just uh one of your new your new book coming out is rethink yourself and I mean, what a title right there. So can you explain, you got it, in, he's got it in his hand very, right now. This is the very first copy. So my, oh, my wow. wife and kids, we always go get ice cream the day the first copy arrives. So last, I guess, Friday or Saturday, we went and got ice cream with cool. it. But um, that's exciting. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I can't wait for, for people to dig into it and hope it's going to be helpful. 
Well, share with us and our listeners just a little bit about why you wrote the book and why it would be helpful. So I, I really, I wrote this book for um, uh, people who are at the start of their life journey, their career, you know, people maybe in college or uh, beginning a career who are, uh, you know, all your life, you hear these common sense slogans in the world, you know, follow your heart, chase your dreams, be true to yourself, you be you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's the common sense stuff that you get in graduation ceremonies. You see it in movies and television shows that no matter what anyone else thinks, you've got to be yourself and you've got to find, look inside deep within yourself to discover who you are and then express that to the world. And then uh, um, uh, that's kind of the purpose of life is for you to, to be able to do that. What I wanted to do with this book was to show how the, the Bible's understanding of how we discover our purpose, how we discover what true fulfillment is, is quite a bit different than that. I mean, there's some good in that way of, of life, but uh, that way of seeing the world, which seems common sense to a lot of people in our society, it's not common sense to everyone in other parts of the world. It wasn't common sense for most people throughout church, throughout history, not just church history, just history in general, mm-hmm. and is um, um, needs to be challenged. And so this book was an attempt to provide a resource that for anybody, whether they're a believer or unbeliever, like anybody could pick it up. I didn't want to speak with any kind of Christianese or anything, but to, to, to kind of show people, Hey, here's what everyone just assumes the purpose of life is that you, you look into yourself and you look around to other people. And then maybe if you want to, you look up to God or some kind of higher power for a spiritual side to your life. And to show that the Bible's way actually reverses that, that you look up first to God to, to see who you were created to be. Then you look around to the people of God that you belong to. And then you, you look in as you come into become your truest self in relation to, to him. And so it's really a counterintuitive way of looking at life. It's a counterintuitive way of, pre, of, of sharing the gospel, I think. And so, so I'm, that's my hope that my hope is that anybody could read it. Anybody could pass it on to a friend, whether they're a Christian or non-Christian and that they'd be challenged with it. And they'd get a, a, a different way of looking at life. Hmm. Well, sounds like an incredible book, but especially for young leaders and people who may, you kind of shared there. The audience is people who are kind of getting into maybe that first or second job, trying to figure out what what am I supposed to do? Like, what does it mean to be myself? What does it mean to find myself? So if you're listening and that sounds like it might be something you want to check out, definitely pick up a copy of Rethink Yourself. Well, Trevin, let's, let's hop into the questions here. And as I was looking at this first question, preparing for this, I went back to when I was an intern at Lifeway. And you probably won't remember this at all. Oh, I remember. Uh, when, I, when I was an intern, I would I would reach out to as many people as possible just to to be able to sit down and ask questions and learn from from the leaders ahead of uh, ahead of me, and and you were one of those leaders. And I remember sitting in the Lifeway caf- cafeteria. We we're just sitting in a booth, and I was asking you basically this same question. That was a question I asked all the leaders: was How did you get to Lifeway? Um, and just a really enlightening. Uh, conversation learned a ton during that, so I'm excited for others to join in on this conversation, and also for for myself to learn as well. So, can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that have led you to where you are today? Yeah, so uh, for me, my ministry leadership for me really began more um, overseas than it began here. I felt called as a um, uh, to be a student and a and to do mission work in Romania. Eastern European, the Eastern European country of Romania, um, as a, I was still in my teens. So it was actually 20 years ago last month that I bought a one-way ticket and moved 
to Romania. Wow. I didn't know the language at the time. I had to learn that and kind of just, I, I had to cut my teeth on ministry in a um, cross-cultural uh, context. And, um, and that was really, that was really formative in a lot of ways. I, I learned to preach there. I learned how to do theology there. I, my mind really came alive in the library there. Um, and I was, so I was in Romania for five years, uh, came back to the U S with my wife and our first kid in, um, uh, 2005, uh, did, had a little stint in seminary and then I was an associate pastor in a church for a while. But during that time, uh, that I was associate pastor, actually, when I was in seminary, I started writing regularly on a blog and I'd already, I mean, I'd considered myself more of a writer ever since I was a kid. So writing was something that just kind of like breathing for me. I'm going to, I've, I've always loved to write. Um, and that, that blog led to the opportunity for me to write books. And so I had one book, um, that my, my first book came out about 10 years ago in 2010. And then uh, I had a second book that I was, that was getting ready to come out. And about that time is when Ed Setzer contacted me, um, and said, Hey, Trevin, we're working on a new curriculum at Lifeway. It's going to be theologically robust. It's going to be gospel centered and it's going to be focused on mission. You know, what do you think? And at first that wasn't in my plan. I wanted to get a PhD, um, yeah. or, you know, maybe preach and do my PhD at the same time. Um, and, but the, the more we talked and then the more I met other people at Lifeway, um, and now we're coming up November 1st, will be 10 years since I came to Lifeway to start what eventually became the gospel project where that was really my primary role at Lifeway for five years. Then I shifted into the director for Bibles role and helped launch the CSB. So that was my next uh, um, big assignment for um, a few years. And then uh, just this year started this role as um, vice president for theology and communications, in which I'm getting to, to oversee some different teams and do some some other fun stuff. So I feel like it's my third big assignment at, at Lifeway <laughs> in, in the 10 years I've been here. And it's been exciting. So looking back on your journey, Trevin, and you know, this is the unseen leadership podcast. So we want to go and explore those unseen stories. And one of the most basic questions, I think looking back on that journey and your call to Romania, when maybe during that season, did you realize, wow, God has made me a leader. Like I'm a leader and I have some leadership gifts and abilities that he's given me. When during that time did that realization hit you? Well, I actually think that realization that hit me more as in the youth group at you know, than it was actually before I went to Romania. I think I already saw myself as going to be a leader in Romania, leading students, helping lead churches, filling in for pastors who had multiple churches and villages and things like that. So for me, it was more of, um, you know, by the time I was in high school, um, I, I, you know, my high school experience wasn't great in a, in a lot of ways, um, but it, my youth group experience was really good. And I knew pretty quickly that I just I just saw that when I, you know, made a case for something or had opinions about something like just there were I had I seemed to have influence um, and other people would kind of follow my lead a lot of times. And so, you know, and then you're asking questions about why is that? How do you yeah. manage that? What you know, and those lead to other questions. And then I, I began to to grow in that skill, I think in Romania, but having to learn it in a different context where leadership doesn't always look exactly the same, you know? Mm. Um, and so um, I think, I think it was actually as a, as a teenager that I realized um, I had some, some leadership qualities and leadership abilities that I 
which then precipitated my my move to to Romania, where I felt like that's where God wanted me to deploy some of those leadership abilities there. Mm-hmm. Now, Trevin, I know we joked about this that you had a long bio, and even as listeners are hearing kind of where your journey has taken you, you started, you know, you came on, worked on the Gospel Project, then worked over overseeing the Bibles team at Lifeway. Now, as a senior vice president, it can easily be like, man, he was just on the fast track to success. Seems like it was really easy. I remember sitting across from you during our conversation and you mentioned a time where you were, I think you were still in seminary and you were working at Cracker Barrel. Yeah. And you were, and I asked you, I said, Hey man, I I just want to write. And I kind of was asking about your writing journey and, you know, in, in those times where you were, I think you were continuing to write, you had that blog, you were still in seminary, you were working another job to be able to pay for seminary. What did that teach you about leadership and how did that prepare you for where you are now and the different roles you're in. Yeah, that, you know, the time that you're talking about, that was actually, you know, 14, 15 years ago. So it's not, it still doesn't feel that long ago <laughs> to yeah. me and to, you know, to our family. So the, the hard thing was we had this ministry in Romania that we cultivated for five years. I mean, there was a radio component to it. I was preaching in all these places, you know, was uh, doing really well in seminary. And we, we left um, all of that to come here and kind of start over. And what was frustrating during that year and a half that we were actually on campus at seminary um, was that you, it, it was, it's really hard in a seminary context where the, the churches in that area are already just flooded with seminary students. It's hard <laughs> to find a normal church, first of all, because there are so yeah. many seminary students everywhere. So we had to kind of go out of the way to find just a church that was, that felt like a normal church that where people weren't just debating theology or talking theology all the time. <laughs> uh, so there was that, but then also like, it's just hard to, to find a place of, of service and volunteering and that kind of thing there. And I think we made a mistake that we didn't, I think we, we, we probably might've been better for us. How do we just jumped into a, a more seminary devoted church and made some friends we, with, with uh, other seminary students at the time, but we, we didn't do that. Um, I was working two, three jobs um, all part-time. One of them was at Cracker Barrel. I was, um, you know, doing seminary. And uh, so it was frustrating because we felt like we were kind of out of, out of ministry or out of at least, you know, church ministry for, for a time. Um, and what, what was really tough, really tough was that there was a, an opening for a student minister position at a church that I interviewed for. And the, the church um, went with a, a, another candidate, great guy, friend of mine, and that, and that was tough because we were there and we were just itching to, to do ministry. But it was actually in the, um, some of the, the discouragement and disappointment from that, that I was like, you know what? I need an outlet. I'm going to write and I'm going to blog. That I started the blog in October of 2006. And that blog actually opened up doors and wound mm-hmm. up changing our lives in ways that we didn't recognize. So God mm. took some of that discouragement and that disappointment during a season where it was really rough for us and, um, and, and use that to actually push me into an, an area where I really did thrive. Blogging was like a, it was a medium at the time that yeah. felt unique to me. Like this was a unique place for my, for, for me to be able to, to, to use my gifts. And, and that's what then opened the doors to, some interviews with different theologians and different church leaders and pastors, and then eventually uh, to, to books as well. Yeah. And that seems like it was a really pivotal moment that helped shape some of your leadership. And, you know, a lot of times um, even, even think, thinking through the Psalms, 
Um, although it might not have been like the valley of the shadow of the death, like the truth <laughs> about leadership is that God leads us through the valley, not to that valley, but he's going to lead us through it. Right? That's, right. That's right. So that sounds like a really good pivotal moment for you as a leader. Um, really important question though. What was your favorite meal at Cracker Barrel? <laughs> oh, well, I worked on Friday nights and Saturday mornings most of the time. I mean, I worked during the week too, but that's when you got the best tips. And so I would do like a double on Saturday and I would work on Friday right. nights, the Friday fish fry, the fried pod <laughs> on Fridays. I mean, it's excellent. I don't know if you guys have ever had it, but I haven't. I've, I've people don't think about Cracker Barrel and they don't think about fish. And but, for good reason, probably. But a lot of people do because they would come in and you would, I mean, you could move those tables because people would just want their fish and fries and wow. coleslaw. That was like the, the oh, main oh, thing. Oh. And I mean, you could just, you could move the tips, move the tables and get the tips. So that's funny. Yeah. That became my favorite meal for sure. That's good. Those biscuits. I can and gravy. The- oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah me too. Yeah. Okay. Stop it. Stop it. I'm trying to eat healthy. All right. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. Next question. Uh, Trevin, looking back at your journey, um, you know, and this can be any time, but what was your biggest mistake as a leader, like getting started and how has that failure, do you feel like has set you up later for good, healthy leadership and good success? Well, it's hard for me to, to pinpoint one biggest failure because I feel like there's been so <laughs> many failures. Um, I, yeah, I was, this is a great question. I, I think, you know, back to what you asked a minute ago about like pivotal moments and whatnot. Um, one year to the day of my going to Lifeway, there was a pivotal, there was a pivotal moment that I think led to a, a brief failure. Um, one, the pivotal moment was when um, I had come on board to start this ongoing curriculum for adults. And one year to the day, I was assigned by the new vice president at the time, Eric Geiger, um, with a bunch of other people to basically be the coordinator and the leader, the managing editor who would bring three age groups together and and get this done in a record amount of time. So it was like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna rebrand this, rename this, and this is how the gospel project kind of came together. There were all these tracks laid, and then there was this big, big thing. And I think one of the mistakes I made early on, you know, I was 30 years old, suddenly entrusted with this 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 massive new, um, uh, you know, this uh, massive project. I, we didn't even know how massive it was going to be at the time, but w- we knew there was going to be a lot of firepower behind it, and. We went through the process of renaming it. We came up with a gospel project and then rebranding it. So we did a bunch of logos and things and we got all the teams together. And I was like leading them, you know, from the marketing team and the kids team, student team, adult team. So we're bringing all these teams together and I'm kind of the coordinator and the one that's like kind of pushing things through and trying to demolish some of the silos and the walls that had built up around the different areas of Lifeway. So it's really yeah. exciting, also a little scary. And one of the mistakes I made I think right then, and one of the guys who's still on the Lifeway team is a designer would probably tell you, yeah, I probably botched that. We, we all got on the same page. Everybody was good with the, the, the logo that we had. There's one, this one designer, a good friend who, who just had some other questions and asked me, hey, can I just run a couple more ideas and like funky with this, play with this a little longer, you know? Um, and we had already like, people were moving forward with it, whatnot. And so, and I was like, sure, you know, hey, let's just, let's continue to have a couple of options out there. But it was one of those things where um, pretty much everybody was already on board except for one person. And in trying to help that one person get on board with whatever had been decided, I was leaving it not quite decided. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And, and I, one of the things I realized really quick, and I had to go, but I actually had to go to him about a month, about a week later and apologize and say, look, 
that we've made this decision and I, I shouldn't have said, Hey, let's go back to the drawing board. This decision's made. We've got to move forward. I, you know, I know you're good with it. I'm good with it. I shouldn't have, I, I, I shouldn't have uh, left it open. Indecisiveness just is, mm. can be really counterproductive for young leaders. Now that doesn't mean you don't course correct when you make mistakes. Um, and I made plenty of them over the, over the years. Um, but your, your team winds up becoming discouraged, frustrated, and somewhat paralyzed as to how to move forward when there's not just a strong sense of, okay, we've made the call now let's go. Um, and, and, and so, and that's one of the things I, I realized with, with that, with that guy, with the team that I was doing them a disservice by opening back up things that we had already decided to move forward on. Yeah, that's really good. I, I think about the, uh, um, good to good to great book. And this is not necessarily with like indecisiveness, but even like consensus building is dangerous too. And that can like cause you to become indecisive because now you're just trying to get everybody to build consensus together as a leader. And that's like very rare. Like it almost never happens around the table. Right. Right. People trying to plan something and agree. If the goal is to, to come to complete agreement on something, then that's the, that's the wrong goal because it's probably never going to happen. Um, so thanks for, thanks for sharing that, Trevin. Trevin, what book, like looking back on your journey and knowing what you know now, and you've written three books. So I'm assuming you've read like thousands of books if you've written three books. But <laughs> those are only, that, those are the only three you mentioned. I've got seven. Uh, oh, seven <laughs> so books. No, that's okay. We those had to shorten the bio. We had to shorten the bio. Yeah. No, Trevin, I did my best. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So you no, read I just want to say, it's like having seven kids and you only mentioned three of them. It's like, no, no I do. Actually, I, totally I only have you. three kids. I do only have three kids. So, and only one favorite, right? That, well, they don't know which one that is. But, yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Okay, so seven books. So at least let's see, do some math there. At least around twenty two hundred books that you've read. You know, due to my math. Um, but with all those, all those books that you've read, looking back on your journey, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? That would have been the most helpful um, to you. Yeah, you know, one book I keep going back to. Um, just a, a helpful leadership book, I think. And it's, it's dated in some ways now, but I wish I'd had it a little bit earlier. Cause I think I would have known, I think I could have avoided some of the pitfalls of, mm. of, um, uh, creativity, but, uh, well, actually two books, I wish I'd had sooner. One of them is the, um, the four, the, the four disciplines of execution. Uh, I, that's just a really important book for actually figuring out how to get work done, you yeah. know, and to get to actually to set a vision, but then actually measure it and get work done and lead mm -hmm. a team in a way to where you actually have objectives and you can, you can see work coming about. Um, the good news is I wound up getting that book right around the time when I needed it the most, because I was leading team, uh, teams. So that was, that, that was, that came, that book sort of came just in time. But if I, if there's one book that I wish I'd had even sooner, um, it, it would have been the accidental creative by Todd Henry, huh. um, because the accidental creative helped me understand what I would need to do to be able to go the long haul. I felt like I had to learn some things the hard way as to how do you go the long haul when yeah. you've got to be a creative, when you're, when you're a guy who's got, got to have output constantly, you're preaching over here, you're writing over here, you're leading this team over here. You're, you're putting together a proposal over here. I mean, that's a lot of just output, right? Where you're thinking, you're putting thoughts down on paper or on the computer, you're sending stuff out. You, 
those those are all like it takes a, a certain level of mental energy and alertness to be able to do that consistently. I mean, a lot of people can do that in a short spurt of time, you know, a sprint. But to be able to do that over the long haul and I for blogging, you know, for years for me and for, until several years ago, it was an everyday thing. I had something on the blog. Now wow. I, I do basically two articles a week and then a link list. And even that, though, it's it's a it's a to be able to go the long haul in content creation for more than a decade, you, you've got you've got to have uh, some practices in place, some disciplines in place to understand how that fountain, that mm. well of creativity can even work. And the accidental creative is one that I go back to and I recommend young people. If, if that's the kind of work you do, I, to me, that's that's been a really helpful thing with a lot of lessons that I had to learn just through experience instead of having someone tell me. Hmm. Man, just a blog a day. That is a lot. And I, I know even now two articles and everything else that you're doing, writing books. I mean, just so much content. What are like two to three disciplines that let's say somebody's listening to this and they said, I feel like that's the type of work that I'm supposed to be doing. I have not built the discipline to be able to produce content that's good. Maybe you can produce content, but it's not good. What are two to three disciplines that you learned over the years that have helped you to be able to produce high-level content at a consistent rate? Um, one discipline is write and don't be afraid of your reader. If that's what you want to do, don't be. You've got to write in such a way that you want to serve the reader. You're not trying to impress the reader. You're not trying to. You're you you want to serve the reader with an insight that you think they need, and so you need to write and write consistently. But the other is, and the first, the bigger one is actually you've got to read, 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 read. Like mm -hmm. you're not going to have stuff to. You won't have a well from which to draw if you don't fill that well up with water, and you don't have that well full unless you're reading all the time all the time. Like, I mean, several, for me anyway, it's several books that go in at once, reading through magazines, certain magazines so that I know what other books are out there. And I can at least be knowledgeable about some of them or get the gist of them without having to read the whole books. I mean, to, to, to me, if you're going to be in the content creation side of things, you've got to be filling the tank constantly. Mm. And the way you do that is generally through reading. There's, can do it through audiobooks, podcasts. There's other ways to get that information, but nothing substitutes uh, for for reading and filling filling the tank that way. Mm, that's that's great great advice. Very practical too. Um, let's move to once again. You're stepping into leadership for the first time, young young Trevin. What were some of the biggest misconceptions that you had about leadership? Well. I, you know, Andy Crouch has a book called Strong and Weak that's really good. And it's about leadership. Um, it's about authority, vulnerability, whatnot. I think one of the misconceptions I had early on was that um, once you got into to greater leadership, then the, um, the weight of all of the execution work that you would have to do would get easier. Um, because, you know, there's strategy and then there's execution, you know, there's actually thinking through what needs to be done. And then there's actually being the one to do it. And I've always been one who's lived in kind of both of those worlds, uh, with the gospel project in particular. Um, and even with CSB and some of the Bibles we, we did, I was a strategic guy who I'm like helping lead the team and whatnot, but I'm also one who's actually into the, doing some of the editing and into the, to the work, to the weeds. Um, I think over time I thought, well, the, 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 the more my career goes when it comes to leadership, the more on the strategy side I'll be and the less on the execution. That really hasn't, hasn't played out for me. And the weight 
doesn't go away because you move more into the strategic. It actually becomes greater as to feel as to what you feel like you're carrying because you're you're not only carrying you and one team's work. You're actually the 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 higher you go in leadership, you're carrying multiple teams' work and are are really responsible for the strategic direction being given. So I think in my mind, it was uh, one of the misconceptions I had 10 years ago is that that was a, a simpler and more linear linear process than what it actually has turned out to be. Mm. Good word. As, um, as you look ahead, what are some cultural trends that young leaders should be aware of in the next few years? Yeah. Um, that's a... That's a tough question because it really depends on the sphere of leadership, right? Um, you know, what? let's just take one that's affecting us at Lifeway that I think is going to affect a lot of young people in the COVID work from anywhere era. There are a lot, there are a lot of young leaders who now are cutting their teeth on, teeth on work from anywhere. That's their, their yeah. new mode of existence. And they might have already been moving in that direction even before COVID forced it even, even more so. Um, I do think that it's going to be a little harder for young leaders to perhaps stand out in in the kinds of environments that we're going to be in because it's just online mm. relationships are somewhat different, meetings are different, um, hallway conversations don't happen as much. You know what's going on in Slack or in uh, conversation on uh, in um, text messages and things like that. It's just different, right? It's just different. So I do wonder if. And I've been reading some articles about this, that this, this trend to work from anywhere, what is that going to mean for the young leader who's wanting to rise up in an organization and yet is rarely seen except in the small little team that they work in because they're not really having much interaction or um, uh, back and forth with, with different teams um, mm. that happens informally, you mm. know? And then what happens when those managers and those leaders who themselves aren't having a lot of informal conversations uh, are not able to say, hey, you ought to consider that leader. Or you got to consider that guy for this or that. Like, I just, I wonder what that's going to look like. And I've been giving some thought to how do we make sure that young leaders have certain pathways and certain, um, the, the ability to continue to lead out in ways that will be noticed, observed, and rewarded, not just in their own team, but more broadly in the organizations that they're working for. I think that's a trend that we don't really know the answer to yet. We'll have to figure that out together. Yeah, that's really insightful. Now I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's no, not it's, a bad thing. It's just a it's just a new thing that I don't think yeah. we know the answer to. Yeah, no, that's incredibly insightful. And I'm even I've had this conversation a lot because you know with with COVID we we've all been working from home for six to seven months now. Um, just honestly, I I crave just being able to get back into the office, at least be around people. I'm an extrovert, so that's I love being with people. Uh, and I've had that type of conversation. One of the things that I've discussed with many people are those hallway conversations, being able to hop into my boss's office and just have a, you know, kind of an offline conversation. We can do that over Zoom, but it's, you know, you got to text them. Hey, you have, you have a minute instead of just knocking on the door, we're right. going to grab coffee and I bump into somebody and we just talk over something that, that is very interesting. There's a lot, I've, there's a lot of articles out there talking about the creativity that maybe maybe the three of us meet up at we're grabbing coffee, and let's go back to the day where where Trevin's working on the gospel project, and you could just be wrestling through something in your office, go to grab coffee, and bring it up, and all of a sudden we have a conversation that gives you inspiration to go back with a new idea. That's right. So 
there's still ways to do that. It's just different, like you said, and we're going to figure those out. And, you know, it's a, it's a challenge to overcome. And unfortunately, COVID has pushed us in that direction, probably sped up the pace of, of innovation in that way. So, and I've, man, incredibly yeah, insightful. And I feel like, too, there are more meetings on my calendar now with Zoom than there was when we were in person. Like there's just, there's not enough time in the day now to have some of those just informal conversations. So it is really interesting where this thing's going to head. We're all victims of 2020, you know, <laughs> right, um, right. So we'll see what happens. So true. Well, that may be a little disappointing for young leaders, but let's, let's have some fun right here. So we're going to move to the quick hitter questions here. These are just short one minute answers. So we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? So I like to get up, you know, six, six thirty or so, have time with the Lord, prayer, get ready. I like to I usually drink three cups of tea in the morning. I'm not a coffee drinker and I'm off okay. caffeine actually since February. So I made it through COVID with hardly any caffeine. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. So you made you made the commitment in February and then COVID hit and you you stuck with it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's what that's what was was nuts is that I didn't even know that a lockdown was coming when I would yeah. feel like I really needed it. But um, um, so I got off caffeine caffeine. I I love in the morning to just go ahead and I know people say don't answer your emails first thing in the morning, do do other stuff first. But for me to like wind up into the day, I I need to to get into emails. I need to see what's happening where we are, where the teams are. Uh, an ideal day is going to include a mix of several things. Some content time for me to think, write, you know, put some thoughts on on paper, some team leader meetings where I get to to uh, hopefully lead and inspire the uh, the people that I get to work with, uh, bring value to, to whatever meetings that I'm going to be a, a part of. Uh, some, some content input time, which would include, you know, whether it's, you know, a quick walk around the block where I'm listening to a, a, a podcast that is giving me some insight or some, some thought or uh, some, some time to read. Um, and then um, in the afternoons, it's time to work out. So I, I do some, some core exercises. I've, I've got a, a bow flex, kind of an elliptical kind of thing to where I can just stay active, keep my, keep my, you know, just keep myself sharp mentally, but also, also physically. Then in the, the afternoons, evening, it's, you know, time with Karina and the kids getting a meal together, maybe watching some classic TV with my daughter, taking my son to soccer practice or to soccer game, stuff like that. And I usually I usually go into bed by 10 in the, okay. in the evening. So I'm not a not a real late, late person. But um, that's kind of my ideal just work day, what it looks like. I thought when I was a national man, I thought I saw Trev Wax walking around with those biceps getting bigger, man. I, yeah. thought, I thought I saw that Bowflex work. I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not really doing that. Um, so if anyone's <laughs> looking for that, they might be disappointed. I'm just trying not to lose muscle that I had. Like, this is true. When you get into your late thirties and I'm, I guess at 39, I guess I will now say it's my late thirties up until 38. I was saying mid thirties, but just denial. Um, I'm 39 and it's, you know, a guy was telling me, Hey, you know, you really got to, you got to do pull-ups, man, and push-ups if you want to maintain your muscle weight. I was like, yeah, I tried. I did those a few years ago. I could do like 10. And I mean, I barely got through three and was like, crap, I've got to build back this muscle. So now, now I'm much better. But man, like it, it disappears without you realizing it if you don't, if you don't work it. So good for you, man. Good for you. Well, we've, we've talked about this book a few times on this podcast, um, Deep Work. I don't know if you've read it. I'm sure you have. Oh, yeah. Great book. Um, 
And there's, you know, there's certain style jobs that I think that book really leans probably more in favor of. And I feel like, especially for you, thinker trying to, um, you know, take input of content and then output it for people to understand for a certain context. Have, have you found that book helpful? Have you, have you like blocked off time for certain things? Any takeaways uh, from that book? Yeah, I'm, I, obviously not everybody works the same way or has the same kind of job as as Cal Newport and the people he's writing. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so I don't think deep work works for everybody. Um, and I don't I don't follow a lot of his suggestions like daily. But what I found really helpful in that book is that when I actually do need to get away to do something super substantive, uh, I, I have to. And I, you already hear it in the way I, I was just saying that I have to get away. So, you know, recently I was um, I've, I've been tasked to write a little book, like 20,000 words or so, which is so smaller than my normal books. But, you know, I I went away for a weekend and wrote basically I had like a 48, you know, 72 hour window in which I was basically just writing, trying to shut wow. everything else off just right. You know, and I with Rethink Yourself, I went away for a four day weekend went to a place in, in East Tennessee that had some walking trails and whatnot, I had a beautiful vision of a beautiful view of a lake in this place I was staying. And I just basically just wrote, would write for, you know, and, and I think one of the things Newport talks about that's great is the, I think it's like, is it 90 minutes or whatever? He, but for me, it's like about a 90 minute period of where you're just in the zone yeah. and then you have to get out and you have to refresh, you have to recharge. Then you come back and you do it again, you do it again, you do it again. Like that kind of, work where you've done a lot of prep ahead of time. So it's not like you're coming in fresh to just, you can't deep work without anything. You have to have the inputs, but once mm. you get to that place where you know, you're going to be doing output work uh, for me, there's no substitute for getting away and actually just spending significant time um, in, in, in thought. That's where the, that's where the real magic happens. That's where the real insights come about. I promise we're going to get to the next quick hitter, but I'm fascinated by you, you keep talking about input and yeah. you, you just mentioned there, if you're going to sit down and try to have output, you have to have input. You're talking about reading so much. How do you document and keep organized all the different reference points that you're going to be able to pull from while you're writing? Yeah, I really don't. Um, so I, <laughs> I, that's the, that's the thing. Like I, I, I don't, I don't have a, I know like JD Greer and other people, they have like a, an amazing note taking system and things like that. I, yeah. I tend to read books and underline. I read when I'm working out on my on my Kindle when I highlight highlight stuff. But um, I, I I don't have like a a, a a documentation thing. I will say one thing though that has helped over the years is usually I'm writing on the blog things I'm eventually going to be writing about in books, and that's a yeah. way for me to test case some stuff. You know, I put some stuff out there, get some feedback, and I'm you know I'm working I'm working through stuff, but. A lot of times when you're writing, when you get into that moment where you're, you're, you're putting out some stuff, the in, like just certain things will flash in your mind. Like, Hey, this is a good illustration of that. Or, Hey, I remember this guy in this book said this. And I have one of those memories where I can usually remember like even what side of the page of a book it's on and I can get to it pretty quickly and then I'll find my underlining. And so like past Trevin is still talking to future Trevin through the underlining <laughs> that I've got. So even now when I'm underlining books, I'm actually underlining for myself in the future yeah. so that I'll be able to get back and I can get in and out what I want of that, of that resource pretty fast. So I, you know, I, everyone has different systems. What I do may not work for other people. I, you know, whatever works for you, just make sure that when you're in that 
zone where you have to have some output, you have to have read leadership books or books on the topic or theology or whatever it is enough to where you've got something to give. Otherwise, you're going to run out of steam pretty quickly. Yeah, that's that's good. Uh, underlining things in books when you read them is so underrated. And I don't I don't have near of a sharp as memory as you or deep of a memory as you. I sometimes I can barely remember what quote the book was in. So much less like <laughs> what side page it was on. But that is a practice I've done is underlining. So when I go through that book with another young leader and like a development process, it's just easy for me to get to like different points that stuck out to me. And I tell them all the same thing. Hey, when you go and you take and you take somebody else through this book, do the same thing, like underline it, it'll make your life easy. So that's interesting. Yeah, right. I'm really interested to hear what your answer is to this next question. And it's a two-parter. One, do you like personality tests? And two, if you do, what's your favorite one? I do like personality tests. <laughs> I think personality tests are fun. Why would I not like them? I, I mean, they're, and we've done a bunch of different kinds of personality tests at Lifeway. I guess the, all the, the rage right now is about the Enneagram, um, which is more of a, I guess it's a personality test, but also, um, and I, I found that to be overall helpful. I mean, I know some people like go overboard with it and every, like there's like these crazy lines that are like, this connects to this and this is this and this, you know, and I'm like, okay, to me, that's a little bit over the top. Um, and people are like Enneagram everything. Oh, you're just a, you're such a seven. Oh, you're such, you know, like, and, I, um, but for me, I, I think though that that's actually been one of the, the, the things I've read in recent years that where it's helped me see a little bit of like, what's a motivating factor in my life. And it's also helped me just like in my relationship with my wife, even for her, for, for me to understand a bit about how God wired her, like what her personality yeah. is. And to not judge people for how they've been wired, but to to actually um, help people flourish in the healthiest version of, of mm -hmm. what that would look like. Awesome. What? Where do you fall on the Enneagram? So I am a three wing four. Three wing four. Yeah, I'm definitely an achiever, performer type with uh, the the self centered. Oh, woe is me. No one else is completely like me. Unique, angsty vibe in, in the four. Most people don't see that side of me publicly. But my family does. My family's like my, um, so my brother and I, we have the, my youngest brother, he's a, he actually runs my, my, uh, a, a printing company that my grandfather started. It's been in the family business for a long time. He's a three wing two. And so the two of us talk, cause we're both threes. Right. And he's yeah. like, I'm like, yeah, you're like the selfless want to help kind of three and I'm like the three wing four that's like more selfish and self-absorbed and have to work on that. And he he's like, yeah, but the three wing four is like the Hamiltons. You guys are the ones that change the world. You know, <laughs> like we're both kind of jealous of each other's, you know, wing number. But anyway, what's so funny and I'm not beating up on you. What's so funny is I, as you're saying three wing four, I keep going back to like, no, I wrote seven books, not three. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> see, see, you already saw it. You already it's so saw good. it. It's so it's good. So good. Oh, I love it. God, I love please it. sanctify us all, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, man, that's good. Well, Trevin, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Oh, an unusual habit that helps my leadership. Um, okay. This is, this is one. I, this is probably unusual. Um, I think it's good to do stuff that have nothing to do with your leadership so that you get, so that you, uh, I think good leaders um, oftentimes tend to be well-rounded mm. leaders. And so it's, it's important to have some stuff in your life. That's just, that helps you like keep a sense of humor and not be just so focused on whatever it is you're leading that you 
our, our two tunnel focus to actually see bigger picture stuff. So I mentioned earlier, like my daughter and I sometimes were like watch classic TV. We we like old TV shows. And so that's been a fun thing in our family that's just over the years has been something of a tradition, even since I was a, a, a kid. Cool. I, I don't know how that exactly helps me in my leadership. I just think it is something that is not, uh, it would be unusual. I don't think that's probably typical of everyone, but is is something that keeps us, you know, just it's a hobby. It's something that, that, that um, uh, hopefully makes, keeps you with a sense of humor and, and gets you to, to be well-rounded. I love that. My my parents did that with my sister and I too growing up. I Love Lucy was one of our favorite shows. That's my daughter. Well, my daughter, I I Love Lucy was her favorite show, but now that she's a little bit older, she's been introduced to the Mary Tyler Moore show mm, in the 70s. So and there's such a great cast. And so yeah. I think now she kind of, are we going to watch a Lucy or a Mary is one of the questions that, that she'll ask. So that's cool. That's a great show too. Uh, Trevin, what's your favorite app on your phone right now? Oh, so definitely been my favorite app for a long time is Clash Royale. Um, the, the, uh, uh, the game from Supercell. Like, so <laughs> probably eight years ago, I don't know when, but my son start wanted to do Clash of Clans. And so I started that, but then Clash of Clans, they, they started this Clash Royale and it is such a fun game and it's a strategy game. I played it with my son. There's an editor friend of mine who occasionally he'll see me on and we'll like, we'll like play each other. I put a, I have, I have a screen time limit on my phone so that I will never be like, I'm just going to play for an hour. Glass Royale, you know, but yeah. it's the, the games are four minutes long at most five. And so it's just like, you know, if you ever just want to like kind of just get off and do something fun to just pass a few minutes. And it, it's like the perfect little thing to just to break up the, the monotony of a day or something you're, yeah. you're working on. So yeah, Clash Royale has been my favorite app for a long time to the point that I have to put a screen time limit on. I love that. Ben Mandrell's like, Trevin, how come you've been late with this? <laughs> right? yeah. What were you doing for four hours? And you're like, I don't know. I was right. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't Clash know. Royale was calling, man. I just couldn't put it down. Like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't say no. Well, uh, Trevin, you talked about how many books you've, you've read, try to be able to keep up, to be able to, to keep up with content. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Okay, so... Uh, every December I do a, a, a list of the, the top 10 favorite reads of the, of the year, you know, books that I've just, that I really enjoyed reading. I think the number one book this year, it's going to be a trilogy. Actually, it's this trilogy of um, the, it's a biography of Winston Churchill that I've been, I've, I've been reading it. I, I downloaded it from the library on my Kindle and I've had it as my kind of my go-to workout book since January. So I've taken breaks through it because it's so long. Like one is it the last lion? That's the last lion is I think the third one in it. Or no, okay. no, that no, yeah, that, no, that it's trilogy? that trilogy, the last lion. Okay. Right. And so Defender of the Realm is the one I'm on now. So I'm about 60% through with that. But like each wow. volume in the trilogy is like twelve hundred pages, a thousand pages. <laughs> so but it is so well written and so well put together. And I feel like I know Winston Churchill. Um, mm. And Andrew Roberts has a good one volume biography of Churchill that I read, I guess it was last year or two years ago it came out. And so that was my first kind of introduction to Churchill. And I realized just what an amazing, amazing individual he is. And then Candace Millard has a book called um, Hero of the Empire, where he just one one story of Churchill's life where he has, he's taken a prisoner of war in the Boer War in Africa. And then he like treks through Africa and escapes prison. And like, it's just unbelievable like for most people that would be like the big thing that happened in their <laughs> life and for churchill and if you go to his museum in london 
it's like just a one case of this entire museum because of the, the life is just so, so epic. So I, I'm pretty sure that this is going to be my number one book of the year because it's just so well written, so put together. And the leadership lessons are vast for mm. what Churchill did. And he did a lot of stuff wrong too. Like he's like sometimes crazy, but just some of the leadership lessons there are, are fantastic. And he's such a colorful figure. I think that's probably going to be my, my number one for the year. Cause I can't think of anything that quite compares with it that I've read this year. Mm. That's been on my two, like want to read list for so long, but it's just so big that I'm like, I don't even know where to begin with this, but hearing that makes me want to at least jump into the first book. Yeah, I feel like I've been munching on it all year long, you know, in 30 minute <laughs> increments when I'm doing the elliptical thing or whatever, but yeah. it's it's been fantastic. That's awesome. Last question, Trevin. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? Uh, don't overestimate your abilities and don't underestimate the fallout from your failures. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd say. I think don't overestimate your abilities and be too cocky. But when you mess up, don't, don't underestimate. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I think that doesn't make sense. I should say that again. So uh, I, I meant to say, don't overestimate on both of those things. Don't overestimate your abilities. Just making sure that you're not thinking more highly of yourself than you should. But also don't overestimate when you mess up the fallout of your, of, of, of those failures. Um, you, Every every leader is going to have to learn from mistakes, right? And so you will make mistakes. There will be failures. Mm. Um, don't don't make those bigger than they are. Learn from them and and move on. I would I would tell people starting out in leadership that's something that's really important to to keep in mind. Super wise word. Well, Trevin, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review and let us know why you enjoy the podcast to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. See you next week. Peace.